Hello and welcome to the Friday, April 22nd, 2022 Earth Day edition of On Iowa Politics. I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette, and with me today are Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Jared. Save the whales. <laughs> Aaron Murphy. Aaron Murphy, State House Bureau Chief for the Gazette. Good morning, Aaron. Good good morning, and Earth Day is celebrating here in Ankeny by trying to drown us here, so... <laughs> And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. I gave the earth a card, but I think it's all wet now. So that's disappointing. (laughs) All right. First up today, under the Golden Dome, we'll start where we left off last week with the Iowa legislature. Yes, uh, 102 days since the legislators convened under the Golden Dome, they're still there. Well, a few of them. Most of them are home golfing, preparing for spring planting, or maybe campaigning for their primary election races. Aaron, I guess there are a few lawmakers at the Capitol. Rumor has it they're making a movie, a sequel called The Men Who Stare at Votes. So what are they doing there? Well, I'll tell you, you're right. There aren't a lot of them here. And and the ones who were here this week uh, started debating the 2011 legislative session shutdown. So maybe they shouldn't be here either. Um, (laughs) We've reached the point in the session where that's um, what's left to talk about. Uh, so the House did uh, literally uh, nothing this week. Uh, they they were home all week as as we kind of wait for the the big grand bargain on the last few bills. Um, the session did a little. Sorry, the Senate did a little bit of work. Um, uh, they finished off one um, somewhat big bill in the in the. Um, oh God! And now it's escaping me. I want to say the fireworks one, but that's the one that the governor signed. What did the What did the Senate do this week? Oh man, it was I've, got, I've got end of session break. Wasn't it the, yeah. was it the mobile home? Thank you, yeah, Todd. mobile yeah, home bill, a, the yes. mobile home rent bill. Holy moly! Uh, <laughs> looks like I should be home resting too. Um, so, so it was a very light uh, workload week. Um, we really are just at that point where there's a handful of bills of significant bills that are up in the air, and then the budget bills and and we're basically not going to see a whole lot of action um, until the big deals are struck uh, and they decide what they're going to do, if anything, on those, on those different bills. It, 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 it really is the, the, the shutdown before the shutdown, so to speak. I don't think it's fair to say that the House didn't do anything this week. They read in a bill from the Senate that would uh, designate George Washington Carver Day. So, they, you know, they, they've been busy. They've That's been busy true. over there. <laughs> That's um, true. Good fact check. I apologize yeah. profusely. But it's still the educational savings account or vouchers light, uh, Governor Reynolds' plan, that is the holdup, that there, there's no movement on this. And it doesn't look like there's going to be any movement this year, at least. No. I, yeah, no. I mean, when you talk to legislators, including Republicans in the House, it just and they're seeing more and more of them comment publicly on it too it's not even just the off the record stuff anymore um you just hear more and more saying they're just against it and it's not that they're persuadable on it they're just 
they're just against the bill and and it's just it's really hard to envision it happening and and i think we talked about this on last week's podcast for the first time governor reynolds kind of gave some cover on this by saying if if she has to she'll bring it back again next year that was the first time we'd really heard her say something like that i I mean things could still change um but as of this point it's 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 really hard to see how that bill gets done even as part of some kind of bargain because i don't know uh what senate republicans and the governors have to offer either you know i mean the the ethanol bill maybe but i don't see that as something that house republicans feel is a critical thing to get done either like they can't go home without that one i mean they passed it they voted it through they mm-hmm. they can say regardless of what happens you know on that we 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 did our part so i don't know I, it's just really hard like i said it's something the winds could still change and and maybe there's um a miracle finish out there for this bill yet but it, as of right now from everything we're hearing it's just hard to to imagine that it gets done this year it doesn't sound like uh, Governor Reynolds is ready to uh, wave the yellow flag or, or uh, on this and you know, uh, um, wait until next year. But in conversations with people this week, I'm getting the feeling that that's likely what will happen is that the governor who's sitting on this mountain of cash doesn't have a real stiff uh, challenge from uh, the Democrats in terms of reelection is going to go out and campaign on this issue and put her money into races where uh, Republican primaries, where there's a candidate who supports uh, her vouchers light plan uh, and, and hope and then come back. As we've talked earlier about, she'll come back next year claiming a mandate uh, that voters gave her a mandate to do this. Um, you know, of course, um, intra party uh, battles, the, these primary races can be messy and then it can leave some political scars. So there's all, always a danger uh, in in going that route. But I mean, I, I don't know how she gets the educational savings accounts this year, uh, given that it's not one or two votes she needs. It's more like a dozen right. or, you know, votes that she needs. Um, so Todd, Obviously, as Aaron explained, it's too early to give this session a final grade uh, unless it's an incomplete. Um, so let's call it a midterm, uh, three quarters term <laughs> uh, grade. W- what grade would you assign the session so far for what they've done and, and what they haven't done? Well, I mean, it's hard to assess a grade when they're when they're failing. You know, they they're failing class dismissed. They they need to just leave. <laughs> They, they need to do a budget and they need to leave the scholarships behind and maybe they can get a deal on the bottle bill. I, it seemed like they were closer on that. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know why they're kind of sticking around for this stuff. I mean, they passed this big tax cut and they can run on that and they can, you know, they can go out and proclaim how they protected uh, women's sports from destruction by transgender kids. Uh, which, you know, we could do a whole podcast on that. So, yeah, I, I think they've done enough. That's That would be my grade there. It's complete. Go ahead and head for the exits. You know, um, quite uh, infamously, the uh, undergrad where I went to, there was a physics professor 
who uh, failed an entire class one semester because he didn't think they were ready to move on to like the next uh, <laughs> level. And so, you know, maybe based on what Todd's saying, that's what should happen. They just have to redo the entire session. They have to have all the same debates and like oh, discussions. God. And why do you hate me, Jared? What have I done to you? <laughs> they don't work well with others. They're, you know, they don't, it's, it's, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of, uh, low marks mm -hmm. it almost seems to me that they they harm themselves by sticking around at this point you know they, as you said they pass tax cuts if they get something done on the ethanol they can you know and and protecting sports declare victory and go home and come back and fight this battle next year when maybe you know uh they'll they'll have enough votes maybe you know they can there'll be a voter mandate to um uh, you know pass a uh, a voucher bill but it just seems like by hanging around they make themselves look bad and they're not accomplishing anything so you know there, there's no upside to dragging this out um you know it's sort of the you know you do you tear the bandage off quickly or peel it off slowly you know which which hurts most and and i mean this seems to be self-inflicted um I, I, I just quickly jared and, and sarah you know, you're from opposite sides of the state. Are you hearing much discussion about the legislative session? I mean, either from the lawmakers or from like local officials who are concerned uh, about what has been done. Um, Aaron mentioned the, the fireworks bill earlier that uh, gives cities even less control over the sale of fireworks. Are these things, um, you know, um, you know, creating conversations? Definitely in um, in the Quad Cities area, the school vouchers bill is definitely getting a lot of attention from s public school board um, presidents and and folks. Um, we've got, you know, um, Assumption High School is uh, is in the Quad Cities, and so I think like Davenport, Pleasant Valley, a lot of people or a lot of the school board folks are maybe afraid that that's going to lose them some um, some students. And and then I'll also say, you know, on the fireworks bill. So Bettendorf recently um, they enacted a uh, an ordinance basically banning fireworks sales downtown in their special district. So that'll be interesting what um, that bill actually does for um, for there. And, and, and Davenport, too, I think, has some restrictions on fireworks sales in the city. So that will be interesting. Um, another bill that Davenport in particular has backed is uh, the um, nuisance bars bill, which would allow cities to bring um, a lawsuit uh, against bars that they deem to be nuisances instead of relying on a state panel to take away their liquor license. So those are the things that are really of interest here in the Quad Cities. Yeah, and I would say uh, of anything that's like trickled down to like around here that's like state legislature stuff, it would be the school voucher stuff as well because I know the Sioux City School District put out a, uh, a pretty strong statement in opposition to like plans to uh, go ahead with that uh, legislation. But uh, yeah, some of this other stuff hasn't really trickled down in the same way. And I know there haven't even really been a lot of like, um, you know, meetings that local legislators are having where they kind of recap some of the wins or just some of the stuff that's gone on in the legislature. In uh, years past, uh, I was covering stuff like that a little bit more often. You know, some of the local legislatures would show up and have those kind of meetings, but those haven't really happened uh, in this particular uh, cycle so far. Mm -hmm. Are you hearing much about eminent domain over there, Jared? Um, I know that's a big issue in Western Iowa. Um, is there much discussion? In, uh, 
it really only does seem to come up when there are these like um, meetings specifically focused on, you know, the pipeline. So like when whatever company it is that's building one of these things has an informational meeting, that's when some of the pushback comes up more. There still isn't a lot of necessarily just, you know, organic meetings solely about we need to oppose this or maybe it'll come up sometimes at uh, supervisors meetings, but that's still kind of been the, the range of it. Okay. So the legislature continues to meet with uh, no definitive end in sight. Maybe we should start a pool, you know, pick a date. You know, <laughs> I'll take June 30th. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Aaron. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what I did. Was it something I said on last week's podcast, you guys? Just out to get me today. By the, by to the way, me. Aaron, I... Uh... I uh, I loved in your story about the fireworks stuff that the first legislator quoted is from Spillville because for anyone that is unaware, Spillville basically defines its summer season by having the largest fireworks show possible. Like that's their whole entire thing. So I I, I love to see the uh, Spillville folks knowing exactly what to uh, to. Rep. <laughs> and he and Mike Clemish is the former mayor of Spillville, right? right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I should just say for our listeners, Mike uh, Clemish is the senator who who is, was quoted um, mm-hmm. uh, in that story and, and ran that bill. Moving right along, um, not long after we recorded on Iowa politics last Friday, the state Supreme Court ruled that Abby Finkenauer did indeed have enough signatures to be on the Democratic primary election ballot. After all the snark from Republicans about her failure to qualify for the ballot, I was reminded of that old saying, she who laughs last laughs best. Um, still, this was widely seen as a stumble by someone trying to convince her party and general election voters that she's ready to be a U.S. senator. Um, so we're back to a three-way race with Finkenauer, Glenn Hurst, and Michael Franken. Finkenauer, of course, is considered the front runner based on her previous uh, congressional service and her fundraising, which may not match Senator Chuck Grassley, but shows that she can raise enough to be competitive. The, the folks who make election predictions rate this race safe or solid for Republicans, so it may not be all about money. For the record, Franken has a million dollars cash on hand, Finkenauer has 780000 and Hearst has about 46000 cash on hand, and Chuck Grassley has $4.6 million cash on hand. Aaron, every election cycle, we see candidates run against folks who are considered invincible. Occasionally, they win. Most times, they don't. Um, for Finkenauer, is this about winning this election or building a brand, demonstrating that she has a message and can raise funds and develop a platform for a future race against Senator Joni Ernst in 2024 or for the Grassley seat in 2026? Yeah. Um, and before I answer that, just to get back to that list you went down, and in the interest of full disclosure, I have uh, slightly less cash on hand than those numbers <laughs> that uh, that you listed there. So just, just so everyone But enough to be competitive. Now too. That's right. <laughs> enough to still be in the race. <laughs> uh, yeah i think that's that's a great question you pose james is it's kind of the what's next uh, if if abby finkenauer is the candidate here for the general election and and if she is unable to defeat um chuck grassley which i'm sure obviously her campaign and democrats aren't you know wouldn't publicly um concede just yet but you know that history is what history is, and and it, and if that holds and true, um, 
what's the next step? Uh, and I think that's a, a very interesting opening, open-ended question that you raise. And, and you probably listed a few things that are possible there. Um, she, she's obviously been around public service uh, for a long time, even as a young woman um, in the state house and as a congresswoman. Um, uh, going all the way back to, to working on campaigns as, as a college student in, in Dubuque. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I could see her taking um, another crack. I mean, that, that's kind of the route we saw with, like, Teresa Greenfield, who uh, was in the 2000, let's see if I get my numbers right here. 18. Um, 18 primary and then and then w- ran again in 2020 and, and was, was the party's candidate and, and and maybe it's a similar thing here for Abby Finkenauer where she takes a, a a crack at Chuck Grassley and 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 maybe make it if, if uh, even if she loses is maybe competitive then she comes back and um, takes a shot at Joni Ernst in in, in a few years Um. I think I think it's I think it's a very interesting question you raise, and I'll be honest, I, I don't have a, a a great answer, but but it's hard to see her fading away from Iowa politics. I guess I'd say that um, at, at the very least. Um, what exactly that means? Would could she be a gubernatorial candidate? I mean, she was in the state legislature before. You know, could she be a gubernatorial candidate in four years? I, I don't know. Or in 2026, it's a Finkenauer Hinson race for the Senate. <laughs> oh my gosh, wouldn't that be something? <laughs> Todd, <laughs> you spent some virtual time with one of the folks who thinks the race is about more than cash totals. Um, I'm talking about Mike Franken. Uh, what does he think voters are looking for, and how confident that uh, is he as we head into the primary? Yeah, well, you know, of course he sounds confident because that's what candidates do. And he believes that, you know, these are serious times with serious issues at stake and that he's the most serious candidate with the most substantive ideas. And that's that's sort of his niche that he's trying to carve out is that he's, he's not a soundbite candidate. And I can attest, <clears throat> having interviewed him, that, yeah, there weren't a lot of soundbites. There was a lot of sort of thick details on policies he wants to do and made it kind of hard to write a column because I didn't have unlimited space. (laughs) So he, he, he's got a lot of ideas. He's got a lot of thoughts about stuff. And, and I, you know, their argument is that, you know, they have a better chance than Finkenauer of beating Chuck Grassley in a general election, that they have some crossover appeal among Republicans and independents uh, who, you know, may admire him for his experience, his military record, his, you know, Northwest Iowa roots. Uh, you know, so he's got a poll up. He, they, the campaign sent out a poll this week that showed him trailing Chuck Grassley by a few percentage points. And of course, the Finkenauer campaign has released their own campaign poll that shows, you know, Abby Finkenauer leading Mike Franken by 50 points in the primary. So, uh, I, you know, we've seen primaries like this before where, one candidate is, you know, sort of the the front runner, and there's but there's another candidate that says, yeah, they may be good in a primary, but they're going to get clobbered in the general election. I I have a better message that has broader appeal, so that doesn't always work out that way. A lot of times, the favorite wins because party primaries are different than general elections. So, but that's their argument is that he's serious and substantive and would have 
you know, would, would garner more votes in a general election scenario against Grassley. Sarah, uh, talking about that message, Franken is the first of these three candidates to go up on TV, and he has a 60-second ad lifetime that makes him appear folksy and less wonky than what uh, Todd just described. Um, <laughs> talks about how he grew up on a farm, worked in a meatpacking plant, served in the military. We see him in family photos, in uniform, posing with Senator Ted Kennedy. It's all about his lifetime of experience, his bona fides. Is this an appeal to perhaps older, non-progressive, non-woke Democrats who will be voting in the primary? Yeah, I um, I definitely think so. It's, yeah, it portrays him, you know, in a flannel on his farm with all of his um, photos throughout the years um, of his military service. And, you know, Iowa, there definitely is that demographic out there and those um, older voters are often more likely than like young voters to vote in elections. So um, so that's definitely seems to be how he's trying to introduce himself, how he's trying to appeal. And, um, and, and it's just also just trying to introduce himself too, right? Like he, in the March Des Moines Register poll still, I think it was a third of Iowans still didn't have an opinion on him. Um, but it, Regardless, it was a it was a pretty large chunk of Iowans that didn't have, have an opinion or know enough about him to have an opinion on him. So, um, you know, he's trying to introduce himself as this uh, rural northwestern um, Iowa Democrat who um, who could, yeah, like um, Todd said, appeal to a general election audience. And Jared, the ad draws heavily on his Northwest Iowa upbringing, showcasing the rural, small town Iowa. I think all that's missing is a barn jacket and a shotgun. Um, is this an attempt to run up the vote in Western Iowa, in the rural areas in general, to offset Finkenauer's perceived strength in, in more urban areas and maybe appeal to some Republicans? Yeah, I I wonder about that because he could maybe peel off some like centrist type Republicans, even in a general maybe, who just kind of feel exhausted by the amount of like reading up on the latest outrages you have to do if you want to be a party member now. But I, I know in the past, like in the 2020 cycle, Franken's like staked out what would code as like fairly liberal policies to some people. Like I know in 2020, he talked about how the government needed to play like an activist role when it comes to abortion, which is obviously not something that's going to win over a lot of Republicans, even ones that are maybe disaffected by the party. Um, and I do think it's kind of interesting, too, that he's leaning on the small town thing, because obviously he's from Sioux Center, which is not a bustling metropolis by any means, even though they have a college. But I mean, he was a vice admiral in the Navy and he worked with Ted Kennedy. And those aren't necessarily like you know, down home, G shucks sorts of uh, things that uh, everyday normal people kind of do. So I'm wondering if like the thought is that, you know, some of that stuff was emphasized pretty heavily in 2020 and that didn't work in the primary. So maybe now it's time to focus on, you know, other aspects of the story a little bit more. All right. Well, we'll talk about primary and the general elections uh, on future editions of On Iowa Politics, but that's it for today. Um, if you like the podcast, tell your friends and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Fan mail may be sent to podcast at thegazette.com. Stay up to date on the Iowa legislature 
for all the news or non-news that's happening uh, by subscribing to the Capital Digest newsletter under the Iowa Legislature tab at thegazette.com. And don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Helfer Stout will take us out, and if you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on the podcast, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics. For Aaron, Todd, Sarah, Jared, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Be well. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.